0: Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, here with Dr. Eric Strachan. We're going to talk about uh, the psychology of collecting and grading. But first, thanks sponsors Tops, Panini, and Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. All of us, Eric, are subject to psychology, <laughs> whether <laughs> Uh, companies or individuals, understanding human nature, even our own human nature, our own self-awareness has value. So welcome to the show. Tell us a bit about your background and um, how you got into collecting. Thank you very much, Dr. Beckett.
1: It's, as you have said, what a cool hobby. It's, It's an absolute thrill to be here and I appreciate the opportunity. I'm one of the collectors who joined this hobby just last March, a year ago, not because I had heard a ton about what was going on in the hobby, but because I had a friend who would, from time to time, give my son's cards from his collection and got us interested. As the pandemic was starting to settle in, I said, hey, Justin, would you mind just talking us through how to do this thing called collecting cards? Literally, we got on a Zoom and sat down and he explained to us the difference between rookie cards and other cards and how to get comps on eBay and I'm the kind of person that when I start something, I kind of dive in. So I started looking for podcasts, things I could listen to, understand the situation better. And my friend Justin also said, hey, you should check out this Project 2020 thing. Uh, it's this cool combination of art and sports cards. I started buying those. And uh, yeah, just imagine starting this hobby last March and all the craziness that's happened since then.
0: Did you not have a childhood experience of collecting? I did not. No. Uh, what uh, about my, in, in your neighborhood or was it? The only
1: similar thing is my grandmother collected stamps. So I would go to stamp shows with my grandmother, uh, which were a thing back then. They are not now. But yeah, no collecting when I was a kid. But my sons like to buy boxes of cars when we were in Target. And all the regret I can feel about that missed opportunity now.
0: I'm wondering, since I have you here and we, we get into some of your educational and experience and teaching background, but the whole idea of you getting into it a year and a half ago meant... I don't know that it'd be an advantage, but you didn't have to unlearn anything. For those of us who've been around for a long time, the the last year and a half has been unprecedented. This could never happen in the old days, yet we've seen these meteoric price rises. And for you, that's the only hobby you've known. <laughs> you didn't have to unlearn the junk wax era.
1: It's, it's interesting because I had to be careful. I've watched Uh, other people come into the hobby on Twitter and and things like that. I got in and I started just buying, oh man. And there is still a nostalgia for me. I started buying Broncos cards from when I was a kid. If I had to get rid of every single card I have, except for one, I'd keep 1976 Tops Randy Gratishar. I think that's an absolutely beautiful card and it would be representative of of what I love about the hobby. But watching people, they just buy and they're out of control and, and wax prices weren't too bad when we started. You could still get a box of cards. First of all, you could still get a box of cards, period. It wasn't too out of control. So I had to stop and listening to advice, guys like Mike Summer and you and, and other folks just saying, figure out what it is that you want to do. I was lucky in that sense of I started buying vintage Broncos cards just because I thought they were beautiful and they reminded me, you know, either of my childhood or of, of thinking about my, my dad and my granddad who loved the Broncos. So I did have that and, and I got to chase some fun stuff from the modern things, but I, I saw the prices go up and I did sell some Project 2020 cards for a pretty nice profit. And mostly I was just collecting that. I didn't buy a bunch of them and I have my collection now of those cards and, and Broncos and baseball Top's flagship. So it's been fun, but nothing that I ever felt like I was getting close to that kind of addiction sense of like, got to keep buying, got to keep selling.
0: If you're only buying, then where's the money coming from? Now you're in private practice, I think, now, but you have been a professor. Yep. So do you have a budget for how aggressively you're going to attack?
1: Yeah. I set a budget, talked to my wife about it, but also we did sell some of those cards. I enjoyed the profits, like I said, from some of these cards, some of these polls. It's funny, we, my son pulled a, a beautiful Jerry Judy optic preview out of Donruss from 2020. We sent that off to get graded. And you, you think, oh, we're going to sell this for a big profit, but now it's hard to let it go because <laughs> it's a beautiful card and it got a nice grade. And yeah, funny how all that works out.
0: In your private practice of, uh, of counseling in psychology or, or in your teaching, are there any case studies of collectors? Because it can be a form of addiction.
1: Yeah. So I would say there's probably two things that I could say about that. One is I have certainly worked with people who would be called hoarders, variant of obsessive compulsive disorder. They are compelled to keep all the things that they have. So there have definitely been people who were hoarding and it might include collectibles. But of course, it includes a lot of other things as well. I wouldn't say I've come across collectors who are coming to therapy. Video gamers is actually the one that people get really lost in video games. And it's hard. It's hard to get them out of it. Because
0: it's fun. Yeah. The most insidious addictions are those that do provide a lot of psychic and other kinds of benefits.
1: Yeah. They're very good at understanding basic behavioral human psychology. The programmers of these games know how to incentivize players correctly to keep them inside the world and keep them spending money and keep them spending time.
0: One of your questions is about the psychology of grading. Yeah. Grading is not a separate, but it's a big part of the hobby. Just like breaking, there's a whole psychology of breaking and underestimating or overestimating risk. I'm not saying people are born that way, but there's a psychological aspect to it.
1: Yeah. I think there are a couple of things. As I've been trying to understand the hobby and understand differences, you hear this phrase now repeated all the time by people who are not fans of grading that grading is a scam, right? I have tried to understand what people mean by that. I think it's a pretty significant misunderstanding of what it means for human beings to evaluate something. Uh, And from the psychology world, we'd call this, it's, it's a construct, right? A gem mint card is a construct. Actually, any of the grades is a construct, right? It's something that we can't look into the card and find the gem mintness of it. There's no objective measure of the gem mintness of a card, right? So we have criteria having to do with the surface and the corners and the edges and the centering. And that's a definition that people have agreed on, but we could change it. If we wanted to define a gem mint, somehow differently. I remember an episode of yours where you were talking about what if all we did was grade the front of the card, right? Let's forget about what's on the back. Does it look beautiful? I think on the whole, grading works well for what it says it does. It says that nicer looking cards will get higher grades. Like That is validity from a psychometric perspective that I think most people would agree with. Like nicer looking cards get higher grades. I think that's a very good thing. Now, that doesn't mean that grading companies don't do things that seem problematic. Like I think it is problematic, for example, that PSA increases their prices based on the declared value of the card, because that incentivizes PSA to grade cards higher. Whether it's conscious or non-conscious, there is something there that has the potential of happening. And I think one of the mistakes that a company might make is thinking that that won't influence their graders, because there are lots of non-conscious processes that determine how we do things, whether we have company policies for it or not. I'm sure you saw some of those things when you were running Beckett.
0: Okay. But is, is that a victimless crime? Who's against that? If I <laughs> send in a card to PSA and they are influenced, as you say, and I'm not saying that they are, but if the grade is slightly inflated and so then I have to pay more to get it graded, but perhaps that increase is more than made up for, but then there'd yeah. be a perception that P- PSA overgrades. And I, I don't think that's the perception at this point.
1: I don't. Think it has been, although I have seen some stuff on Twitter recently. Uh, somebody put out some numbers from a group submitter showing a really significant decrease in the percentage of tens that PSA gave them for cards submitted. This period compared to previous periods, I think it was the month of May compared to previous months. The thing that I want to say is that is just a function of the fact that this is a construct, right? That there is no way to absolutely measure within a certain degree of tolerances what constitutes a mint card. It's not a bad thing. So the psychology equivalent is diagnosis, actually, right? There are no objective lab tests to establish whether somebody has depression or bipolar disorder or obsessive compulsive disorder, right? It's a series of criteria. It's a definition that the practitioners in this field have come up with for these different conditions. We ask the question, do you meet these criteria? And if so, we, we infer the fact that you have depression, but we can't look inside your body and see it. Same thing with cards. And so the criteria change over time, which may be happening with PSA. That may account for the fact that there are fewer tens coming out now than there were a year ago. And that's okay from a certain perspective, but we have to understand why that kind of thing happens, that they can change their criteria, that they've got this new digital scanning technology or whatever it might be that helps them make better judgments or different judgments. But I've heard you say a number of times, like under sufficient magnification, every edge is craggy and every corner is rounded. So there is this question of, it's a funny thing because it's eye appeal, and yet we're trying to apply tools that can see things that the eye can't see. You,
0: you're making excellent points, uh, Eric, but, or should I say Dr. Strachan? <laughs> I, I'm, <laughs> I'm impressed, but the, the thing is that the statement that you made, it's not necessarily your opinion, but it, it's a widely held opinion that the higher the grade, the nicer looking the card is. And that's it's really not always true. It's, it's generally true, but not always true. That's yeah. what we've seen in some of these auctions that sometimes a seven could sell for more than an eight based on some different centering or the corners or edges, surface, whatever. I mean, again, there's right. some cards that really get downgraded for surface and, and PSA doesn't disclose that, but BGS does. When right. they're downgraded for surface, you, you really can't see the problem. They could see it with the magnified eye with the actual card, but once you're looking at it, with your naked eye through the slab, you can't see the imperfection. But otherwise, it it could be a perfect card. Yeah. And I, I have a card that I think I'm not going to sell. I'm just going to keep it because it's a 10, 10, 10, 8. Which mm-hmm. means it's got 10 for centering, corners, edges, 8 for surface. I look at it front and back. I can't see anything, <laughs> but there must be. That's this BGS the label says it's a nine because that eight dragged it down, but it's three right. tens and an eight. And so, so yes, that's interesting it's construct. But again, these constructs are branded by the perception that the label, the construct that's put on this graded card by PSA could be different. They have different persons, but they yep. also have a different system. They have maybe even different equipment.
1: Yeah, that's, I completely agree. I think it's a great point that the first thing when people think, where should I submit my cards, you should go look at the definitions that the different grading companies have for their different grades. People ask this question all the time on Twitter, should I grade this or where should I send this or why does somebody like PSA over SGC or whatever it might be, but go look at the definitions, right? Because the definitions of a centered card are different. And the definitions of of what constitutes a surface problem sufficient enough to take it from a 10 to an eight are different. If what you are ultimately interested in is the card, I think you should go take a look at those definitions and say, where do I think the things that I love about this card are most likely to be expressed in these different grading companies, right? Because if it's centering, you're going to make a different decision than if it is these other things. The subgrades are actually a great point too, because as you from your stats days, the more Of these subgrades that you have, you're actually decreasing the likelihood that two people will agree on what the grades are and what the overall grade will be. The example that you gave uh, earlier about a seven versus an eight, but the seven's a nicer looking card, right? And there are a couple of things we could say about that. One is you would expect on average that will happen, right? In any sample of of ratings that people will just disagree sometimes and that a nicer looking card.
0: Again, it could happen with PSA and you wouldn't maybe understand why. With BGS, you would have a roadmap to see how that really great centering with a poor surface makes that seven look better than the eight.
1: And we might expect that card would get a higher grade at a different company without the subgrades. So it's it's another thing that you really want to think about when you are submitting your cards based on what, what you want to do. Do you want to know these subgrades or are you just interested in putting it in a slab and protecting it or whatever it might be? But
0: I think they might be interested in value maximization.
1: Yeah, and there's always value.
0: But I'm not sure it's net value maximization. It's gross value maximization. When you start talking about some of these very expensive cards, I think you have to factor in the cost of grading Sure. if it's it's value-based. I think people are doing that.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I I guess I don't have a lot to say about the value because that's not really, ultimately, for better or for worse, that's not actually about the grade that a card receives other than there are differences between what you would pay for an SGC 10 versus an SGC 9, but there are also differences between what you would pay for a PSA 10 and an SGC 10 that probably have not actually that much to do with the actual grade itself, with the work that went into assigning a grade to that card. That has to do with, as you say, that this is my brand and marketing, right? This is my normal. I've only been doing this for a year and a half. So it is what it is, right? PSA is more than SGC. Full disclosure, I tend to submit cards if I've ever submitted them to SGC. That Jerry Judy card that we were talking about, we sent that to BGS, but I bought PSA cards. I just tend not to because I don't want to pay that extra for a PSA 10. Like it just doesn't make sense.
0: Again, one of the unusual things about your situation, you've jumped in with both feet, but a year and a half ago, like I said, you didn't have to unlearn things, but part of the explosion in the last year and a half has been not just in grading, but in the pre-grading actually companies and individuals, bulk submitters. My sense is they have a lot of muscle memory where if they started out with PSA or started out with BGS or started out with SGC, they have a primary loyalty and sometimes exclusive loyalty. That's not necessarily, as you're pointing out, perhaps in your best interest, but They don't care because another psychology thing, they have the perception and the the completest idea of being a collector is you want to have all BGS slabs or you want to have all SGC slab because you like the look of them or, or PSA because you're flipping them or you're playing into the registry.